All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Michael, the introvert networker, and my today's guest is Eric Melkor. Eric is a mediocre tennis player, a host of the Innovators Can Laugh podcast, and the founder of a B2B podcast and influencer marketing agency. But he's thinking about giving it all up to be a handsome billionaire. He nearly is. Hi, Eric. Nice to have you here. <laughs> Hey, pleasure to be here, Michael. Yeah. How does it feel to be on the other side of the interview? Like, I, I know you're the host most of the time. So how does it feel to be a guest this time? It's so relaxing because when you are the host, you put a lot of effort into planning and doing research and having a few questions already prepared for the guests. And you want to show the guests that your respect of his or her time and that you put a lot of effort into it. But when you're a guest, you can show up with a cup of coffee and like, hey, let's rock and roll. <laughs> and then you're, that's it, right? Absolutely. But any tips for me before I start grilling you? And maybe for the audience, any tips for whomever would love to you know, have their own podcast? What should a good podcast, good recording, good interview have in it? Obligatory. Yeah, I think the main thing is should have good rapport. And rapport meaning that both the host and the guest, they get along, they have an easy conversation that's flowing. And the audience knows that, they understand that, and they understand that these two people enjoy talking to each other. And if the audience understands that, then it's more than likely they're going to they're continue listening to the show. Some things I do to try to build rapport with my guests, even before the show is recorded, Usually a day or two before, I send them a personal video, maybe 30 seconds long. I use a tool called Bonjuro. They have a free version. And I generally just tell the guests I'm excited to have them on the show. I look forward to chatting them about X company, the name of their company or service, learning more about what they do. And I'll actually add a link to a short video and just let them know, hey, if you haven't seen the show before on YouTube, here's a short clip about what to expect. And it's like a short clip of another show of me and other guests just talking and having a good time. But I do this because I want them to get comfortable with me beforehand, before we actually get on the video, to get comfortable with my voice. And so that way, when we go into the recording studio, they don't feel like it's the first time that we're chatting with each other you know, over a recorded you know, video call. So that's, that's one of the tips that I highly recommend. It's worked off well, and it definitely makes people feel a lot more comfortable and ready for the show. Well, it reminds me about the lesson I heard being told to salespeople about explaining their sales process before getting into the bed with the client. And the metaphor used, then pardon my French, but it's a story about the proctologist. Because when you go for the proctologist to proctologist to get an examination, it's not like, okay, let's get started and bum, the examination starts. No, no, no. First of all, you sit down and the proctologist, you know, goes through the checklist. What's going to happen to you? What's what we're going to do with you? Step after step after step. Are you aware of everything like that? And then when you are aware what's coming up, you feel more relaxed and comfortable with the whole process that's coming up. And I believe that serves the same purpose. Yeah. This, in this case, reducing anxiety as hell because you know what you're going to expect. Yeah, a lot of my guests, they've never been on a podcast before. It's their first time. 
English isn't their first language since I only interview European founders. And so whatever I can do to just make them feel more comfortable and relaxed, I'm going to try to do that. Something else that I do is on the form that they fill out before they come on the show, I ask them what is their favorite song. And so when they jump into the recording studio, most of the time I will have their favorite song playing in the background. And Michael, when you hear your favorite song, it almost 99% of the time it puts a smile on your face because you just enjoy it. It's your favorite song. So when they go into the recording studio, they hear their favorite song. They see me, who they've already seen through video, and they're just a lot more relaxed and, and ready to converse than otherwise. That's a wonderful tip, and I've got it written down already. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, right now, you're living in Bucharest, in Romania, and having your own podcast and podcast agency, but it wasn't always like that. Could you briefly tell us a story about Eric how he got where he is right now. And I know there's a story behind that. Yeah, I think how I got to where I am right now is just by being (laughs) foolish. (laughs) What I I mean is I've got a history of of taking these big risks and doing things like moving to different places without a job, Uh, but just having this inner belief that things will work out. So for example, when I, when I, in my twenties, I was working for an airline and I was in the accounting department. I only got inside that department because a friend of mine worked there, but I really wanted to be in the marketing department. Now, I stayed in that department for four years. Why so long? Because of the benefits. I could travel anywhere for practically nothing. I was flying from Houston to Tokyo, Houston to to Rio for like $100, right? So it was a great job with these great perks. But the job itself, it wasn't marketing related at all. Now, after four years, I I said, okay, I need to get serious about my career, but I couldn't get a job in marketing anywhere because they looked at my resume resume, and they said, well, wait a minute, you know, you've been doing accounting all your career, so you have no experience. And I couldn't even get an interview, Michael, no interviews whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so I had two friends that had moved to New York City, and this is around when I'm about 27 years old, and I'm stuck in this job, this accounting job. But I, my goal, my dream goal was to work in advertising and marketing at an agency in New York. And so what I decided to do, because I couldn't get a job in Houston, was that I decided to also work nights as a waiter because the job at the airline wasn't really paying me that much. I think every two weeks I was making about $700 and in the U.S., $700 you know, every two weeks is, is, is not much, right? And so I worked as a waiter for one year, about four nights a week, and I saved, I think, around $6,000, and I had a buffer for about four or five months that could cover my living expenses and my my bills and and everything. And so I moved to New York City with, with my two friends. They said they had a third bedroom for me, but they were lying. It wasn't even a bedroom. It was like a closet. It was like, there wasn't even a door, Michael. <laughs> it, was, it was the smallest thing I've ever seen, right? Anyway, I'm renting this little space in their bedroom. We had a great time, uh, and I, I still couldn't get an interview. I was applying to just hundreds of different roles that I saw in positions. Nobody would even interview me again because my experience, wow. I didn't have any marketing experience. I mean, have you ever been in that position, Michael, where you just couldn't even get an interview for something that you really wanted? Yeah, it was a while before I 
got into the IT industry because prior to that, I was doing sales in fast-moving consumer goods, in pharmaceutical companies. And then when I decided, okay, let, it's time to switch for technology, they were like, yeah, but you're not a tech guy. Yeah, yeah. So you're like, they're telling me, yeah, you're not a marketing guy. So yeah. And so here I am. I'm going back to zero again. I took a non-paid internship at a marketing agency, a small one in Soho. And I started waiting tables again because I was running out of money. And I did that role mm. for about a year, the non-paid internship, just to get some experience. And finally, when I had something to put on my resume, I finally got some interviews and was finally able to get my first job in a marketing role at an advertising agency. Uh, but it took me a while and it was a big gamble that paid off. But I've done that now maybe three different times where I've moved to somewhere and I don't have a job at that location. But I just know that, hey, if I hustle real hard, things will work out. And so I moved to Bucharest during COVID with my family. My wife is Romanian. Mm. Now she had a job, so it wasn't like, it, you know, she, she, was, she was actually taking care of most of the expenses. But once we got here, I started looking at companies, particularly tech startups, that I really, I, I found that they were amazing. They were really innovative, and I admire those. And so I actually did some pro bono work for them. And one of the things that I did was analyze their entire customer journey. And I did a presentation. I pointed out uh, the areas that I thought people may be conf confused or where there were friction points. And I pointed out areas where I think you could enhance this part of the journey by doing, you know, X, Y, Z. And I did, I did this free pro bono work for like three different agencies, I don't know, three different companies. And it allowed me to get some, some testimonials that I could put on my LinkedIn profile. It allowed me to start growing my network. And it led to my first contract role uh, at a tech startup here in Romania. And then from there, things just sort of continued to blossom, getting into bigger roles and just growing my reputation. So I've been here a little over three years now. And I'm happy to say that I've got a pretty, pretty expansive network now here in Europe. Uh, for people that are in the SaaS and tech space and, and work in B2B marketing. But three years ago, I, I knew nobody. Mm. Yeah, We will come back to that, Eric, to knowing people and expanding that network. But there's one thing I would really love to hear because it's something I cope or, or I was coping with and I was thinking about. How to combat that anxiety when it comes down to me coming to completely different environment, to completely different ecosystem where I know no one, where I have no freaking idea what I'm going to do, where I'm going to live, how I'm going to earn for my living. It's fucking terrifying for most of us. And what's your secret sauce? to overcoming that because for most of us i believe it couldn't be even possible without any guidance to do such a huge step yeah i think for me a lot of it has to do with my role models i i i my mom she worked two jobs growing up and and she was a you know a single mom raising two boys and you know her her struggles were much more there's my struggles are nothing compared to hers. I mean, her struggle was just putting food on the table, making sure that the light 
and electricity was on month after month and uh, you know making sure that we had a place over our, over our heads that we could stay at in a good home and so i th- when i think about any sort of struggles that i'm facing or challenges i just think about her and realize that what i'm going through is nothing nothing compared to what she went through uh, trying to to raise a couple of boys uh, in the environment and circumstances that she was. And so I think that just kind of gives me a little bit of motivation and that energy to always keep pushing forward and, and thinking positive and, and understanding that, hey, you know, my, my mom did it and, and there's no reason why I can't do it. And when I think about any of the heartaches that I have and I compare it to hers, I just kind of laugh at myself mm-hmm. and say, get over yourself, Eric. You're, you're, you're going through nothing, really. <laughs> And then after each success, you just say, thank you, mom. <laughs> yeah, maybe just like a little bit of pat on the back and, and just say, okay, now, you know, yeah. let's, let's think about the next, the next goal. Wonderful. Yeah, we tend to appreciate parents, but after some time when we are grown-ups ourselves. But coming back, Eric, to that story of, past three years in Bucharest, Romania, and your current VAST, as you said, network of connections. Today, for today's topic, we were discussing and picked the subject of how to make introverts feel like rock stars. And I believe that could be your way to go or a secret behind the success and making successful connections. And It's a really interesting thing since introverts, I believe, are the target audience for us and it will, it should enable ourselves to look into the mirror and observe from a different point of view. But before I ask you how to make introverts feel like rock stars, I want to ask you why as we've got a shit ton of rock stars out there already, like at parties, at, you know, communities, on streets, in the internet, influencers, we've got rock stars everywhere. So why should we make other people feel like rock stars as well? Maybe we should just, you know, leave it to them and look for another way for us. Yeah, well, I think one of the reasons is because a lot of introverts are doing amazing things and nobody knows about it because they're not out there promoting themselves or promoting what they're doing, whatever projects or companies that they're building. And either they're just too busy to talk about it or they just don't have any any sort of desire to build their personal brand and talk about themselves, right? But I think a lot of the things that people that are that, that these introverts are doing are worth sharing. And so that's why I feel like as a as an extrovert, it's sort of my duty to lift these introverts or at least share uh, you know to the outside world some of the wonderful things that they're that they're doing. Um, even if they don't want to share it themselves, I think some of the ideas and, and and challenges that they're they're for the companies that they're building to overcome these different challenges or whatever, this innovation, it's worth sharing. So that's why I feel like it's important to try to make them feel like a rock star, even if it's just for one day, right? And I've done that through through cocktail parties, which maybe we'll get into later in this conversation. But you know what, Michael? Here's a little secret. I think the best extroverts 
were actually introverts because back in school, especially in high school, I, I didn't talk at all. I was very shy. I sat at the cool table, but I was the least cool person at that table. Mm. I never said anything, right? Because I was too shy and I was always too scared. And, and even through college, I was pretty shy. One thing that helped me get out of my shell was actually joining a Toastmasters group. Are you familiar with Toastmasters? Yep. Yeah. In this group, I highly recommend. It helps you get out of your shell. It's a, it's a really safe environment to get up in front of other people and just start off with simple, you know, simple speeches, uh, maybe three, four minutes, and then you kind of expand more and more and go into like 10 or 15 minutes. But that really helped me get comfortable being in that safe environment from other people who were, who were wanting to become better public speakers as well. That really got out of my shell because once I did that, after a few years, I was able to teach as an adjunct professor. I was able to start a nonprofit. I was able to start a, a podcast and do many other things. But had I not done that, I don't think I'd be where I am today. But at heart, I, I'm, you know, I'm really an introvert inside. It just, it was just that that class made me realize, you know what? There's a lot of us out here that do want to be able to speak in public, but we're just a little scared to do so. <laughs> wow. So basically, I guess, Eric, that's also the thing that we're doing right now carrying on that candle of you know enlightenment let's say and encouragement for everyone to try but all right so we've got our why so let's see how to do it then let's assume we've got a you know room full of anxious af introverts everyone not knowing how to you know approach <laughs> anyone no one knows anyone yeah everyone's shy and thinking about going home or just doom scrolling their feed uh, somewhere in the corner of the room i know i'm exaggerating yeah. but it's for the sake of the example so here comes eric and he's gonna tell us how to make everyone or maybe some of them i don't know feel like rock stars yeah, so a couple of years ago, this book came out, and it was called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party by Nick Gray. And I heard about it on a podcast, the My First Million podcast, because the host of those podcasts, one of their friends is the author, Nick Gray, and they were talking about it. And he had spent like five years writing this book. And he had thrown over hundreds of different cocktail parties. The, the way the story goes is that he moved into New York City. He didn't know anybody. And he thought a great way to meet people was by hosting these little intimate cocktail parties at his own place. Over time, he developed this process for making it so simple that anybody can throw a cocktail party and everybody's going to have a great time, including yourself, including the host. And so there's these various things that you do that to host a great cocktail party. In the past 18 months, I think I've hosted eight or nine of them, not just in Bucharest, but in Cluj. I've hosted a cocktail party in Cluj where I didn't know anybody. Not, never met anybody in person. And I think I had 20 people that showed up. I did one in Amsterdam wow. like three months ago. I did one in Sofia last spring. Again, never had been to Sofia be mm -hmm. before and I'm hosting a cocktail party, right? The step-by-step -step system. Just out of the blue. Yeah, the step-by-step -step system is so easy. Anybody can do it. And so I'm going to share a few key things that makes introverts feel like rock stars from hosting these cocktail parties. So a cocktail party, I think it's a very, very simple and clever way to really meet people that 
you're interested in meeting in person and deepening those relationships, but then also playing the part of connecting other people. Because when you do that, people remember you like, oh, I met John through so-and-so, you know, I met David through Eric, right? And you also become a little bit popular because, oh yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's the guy that hosts those cool little, you know, cocktail parties, right? And so similar to my podcast preparation, there's a lot of preparation that goes in before the actual party. And so once I have my list of people that I'm going to invite to attend, I first I send one in each a personal invitation. And the message is like, hey, so-and-so, in, you know, in three weeks, I'm going to have this cocktail party. There's a few people that are in a similar industry like you and me. I think you enjoyed meeting them. Would you like more information or would you know, would you like to attend? And then based on their answer, if they say yes, I have them RSVP at a specific little website. And once I have my RSVPs, I usually aim for around 15 to 20 people. A week before the party, I send an email to everybody and it has basic information like, hey, one week away, we're gonna get together. And here's a little bit of information about some of the attendees who are coming. And this is where I start making people feel important you know feel special and so i can say john doe is coming to the party oh so here's some information about john doe you know he recently traveled to argentina he enjoys playing the piano and he works in digital marketing right and then i'll, I'll do that for maybe seven to ten, ten different people i try to find out okay. personal things about each person that i can get either from themselves or maybe their LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram page. And that's the key is inserting those little things, those little mm -hmm. characteristics about each person in the email update, because now people become interested. Oh, this person sounds interested, interesting at this party. Oh, Eric featured me in this little email update. That's cool. And they start getting excited about the attendees who are going to be at this party because that's what really makes the party good. It's not really the music, it's not the food, it's not the location, it's the connections that you meet at the cocktail parties, right? That really makes it, even for any event, no matter how big or small, it's the connections you meet that make it memorable. And so that's the first email that goes out one week before. I send a similar email two days before the date. This time, I'll add a few more names to that list. And it's to keep the energy and the momentum excited, right? Oh, okay, there, here's some other people that are going. And so this does a few things, right? It keeps people interested and mm -hmm. it basically decreases your no-show rate, right? Because a lot of people RSV for a party and not go. Maybe something comes up or maybe they're just like, oh, I'm too tired to go. But now they know everybody else who's going to be there. And now they're more than likely to show up. I think out of all my events, 95% of people show up to the party. The ones that can't, usually something comes up last minute, like maybe they couldn't get the babysitter or something. But anyway, it's something something drastic had to happen and they just couldn't go. So now people are excited because they know who else is going to be there. Plus I, I pumped them up. I talked about them. And now they feel a little bit, you know, just excitement and a little bit of an obligation to now go to the party. So that's step number one, Michael. I'll get into wow. step two in just a second, but what do you think about that step? Yeah. I had some experience with organizing cocktail parties myself and I know it's not such an easy task but I would have like 
couple of follow-up questions because as you said you went to Sofia and out of the blue said to yourself like okay I'm hosting a cocktail party so my question would be okay but how do you source the venue do you make you know entry fee or do you cover it by yourself and what is your selection process I know it's like trying to find a you know similar business area but you know it's a vague thing to say yeah I believe there's a process behind that. I believe you've got some mental models and could you share those with us as well? Sure. Now, the and the writer of the book recommends, and I agree with them, you should try to do these parties at your place because that way there's no inter- interruptions from like the wait staff mm-hmm. or anybody else. I did the first party at my place. My problem is I have two little kids. And so because I have two little kids, it just didn't really go so well. So... I, what I do is there's a co-working spot here in Bucharest and I host my parties there. The arrangement I have with them, Michael, is that they actually let me use a conference room for free for three hours. And in exchange, I actually promote them or mention them in my newsletter. And I'll mm-hmm. do a LinkedIn post talking about my party and I tag them. And so it's sort of like an exchange, a barter, where I give them a little bit of publicity and they let me host the room for free. And I actually do that for any any conference room in other cities. I did that in Sofia. And if you can't get the entire conference room for free, for free usually they'll, they'll heavily mark the discount if in some way you can show that you're going to promote them. So I don't have a big newsletter. I, at the time, I think my newsletter was only 300 subscribers. But I told them... Hey, all my subscribers are mostly startup founders, people who would be great, you know, clients at your co-working spot. And they realized that it was the right target audience. And so that's mm-hmm. why it made it very appealing for them, for me to promote them in my newsletter and then also talk about it on LinkedIn. And so I did the same thing in Kluge and as well as Amsterdam. So, you know, again, try to use your own space if you can, your own apartment or house. If you can't, consider a co-working spot and see if you can do some kind of barter or negotiate the, the, the fee. The last resort is a restaurant or bar. And I did this one time and it didn't work out so well for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> one is that when you host these cocktail parties, you don't, want, you don't want to give anybody the opportunity to sit down. Because once you sit down, it's an energy killer. Because now nobody, you're not really free to mingle and chat with anybody else mm-hmm. once you're sitting down in a sitting down position. So if you're at a restaurant and bar, a lot of things people naturally do is like they'll go sit down somewhere in a chair. And that just kind of kills it because you can no longer really talk to other people or network, right? So that's the, that's the first reason. The second is the interruptions from other patrons at the establishment or waiters or it, it's just, it just doesn't work out so well because you've got so many other outside things that are happening and it kind of interferes uh, with your setting. So those are the two reasons, big reasons why you don't want to do it. Oh, the other reason is you can't just go there for free and host a party, right? You got to buy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So if you control the setting, if it's at your place or a co-working spot, then you can control what you're going to provide. And I'm not providing a, a five-course meal, Michael. All I provide yeah. is basically bottled water, which in most of the times the co-working spot already has. Or, and I'm providing some wine and I'm getting like your standard Chardonnay, you know, white wine or Pinot Noir red wine. I get maybe six bottles. That's usually enough. 
and I'll usually pay for that out of my pocket. And that's pretty much it. You know, I have some plastic cups, a few bottles of wine. I'll take my little phone, my phone right here, and I've got a portable speaker, and I've got a Spotify mm. playlist, and there's my music right there. So I've got my drinks, and I've got my music, and I'm pretty much, pretty much ready. Here's the other key thing too. So now that we get into the day of the event, the day of the event, when a person shows up, everybody gets a name tag, a name tag mm. where they write their first name. The reason why the name tag is important is because it makes everybody feel equal, right? That's number yeah. one. Everybody feels equal, and it's much easier to approach somebody when you see their name, right? That's it's so it's so simple. I know it seems like oh I don't want to put on a name tag, but it actually is a game changer because now when you see people are like oh hi you know hi Michael you know hi John hi Joseph you know hi David it's much easier to approach somebody, and also lets other people that you it's okay to approach them because you're signaling, hey, here's my name. So everybody gets a name tag once they come in. I usually direct people to the table where they can pour themselves a glass of wine. Usually I'll pour the glass of wine, but if I'm busy, I could just say, hey, you know, happy to help you here. Here's a name tag, please fill it out. Pour yourself a glass of wine and uh, you know, get ready for the icebreakers or, or maybe I'll introduce them to another group. But that's, that's like mm -hmm. once the event started in like the first few minutes. Okay, so you take all the chairs out. There's no chair whatsoever in the room. There are a couple I, of bottles of water. There are a couple of bottles of wine. Yeah, yeah. I'll actually push all the chairs and stack them against a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. We come in. There are a bunch of us. And yeah, we've got our name tags. We may grab a drink. And we still don't know how to mingle. <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So you got the music playing in the background. Not everybody comes in at the same time. People come in one, a couple of minutes later, another person, another person. So you usually have your first group of like maybe six or seven people all chatting, all chatting in a circle that you formed. And those are like the first people that show mm -hmm. up to the party. Yeah. Right. And then once you get maybe three or four more, now you've got like 10 or 11 people. Then it's, it's time to do the first icebreaker. And the first icebreaker is a simple question, and it could be a question like something that is just fun, it's engaging, it's entertaining, and it's as simple as, hey, share with everybody what you like to eat for breakfast, and also share what your name is and what you do, and keep this under two minutes, right? Ideally, mm -hmm. keep it under a minute. And you go in a circle, and so I would say, hey, my name is Eric, my favorite breakfast is toast with a jelly and butter. And uh, I'm also a podcast host. And, and then I'll just go to the next person and say, okay, John, would you, you know, and then it goes around in a circle. That icebreaker is usually done in like 15 minutes. By that point, usually three or four of the people have entered the room and they automatically join in in the circle. Everybody has shared their name, what they do, but then also mm -hmm. they shared their favorite breakfast, right? Because what yeah. you'll find out is some people think that their breakfast is unique and they'll find out, oh, so-and-so, you know, his favorite breakfast is crepes with uh, cream cheese or something too. I enjoy that too. Or yeah, I don't eat breakfast either. Or yeah, my favorite breakfast is black coffee and a cigarette. And we all get a laugh and they all make it relatable. But by just knowing that little something about somebody, 
now everybody feels a little bit connected. And so when they see that person's name, they kind of remember, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's Ginny. I remember from the email, Ginny does this, this, and this. And now her favorite, I also know what her favorite breakfast is. And so by that point, everybody feels like they know a lot about everybody who's in the room. The atmosphere is very friendly. It's very open. And, you know, it's just all about, hey, let's have a fun conversation. Nobody's selling anybody anything. Nobody's there to see anybody speak or do a presentation. We're all there. We all kind of know each other now. So now it's much easier to feel more relaxed, be more comfortable and start a conversation with somebody. All right. So let's try out one of those icebreakers. And this one is going to be stolen from your podcast. I found it really amusing. Please fill in the blank. Hi, I'm Eric. I'm the greatest blank in the world. <laughs> let's see here. I am the greatest. Oh, I, I want to say I want to say dad. But that's the first thing that comes to my mind, dad in the world, because that's what I enjoy the most. I mean, yeah, I have fun being a podcast host. I have fun doing cocktail parties, but I really enjoy being a dad to my kids. Yeah, family first. Yeah, no, I have a lot of fun with them. My son is six, so it's a fun age now where he starts to ask a lot of questions about everything. And my little daughter's four and... It's like being on a honeymoon that just never ends with her. I mean, when, when you have a little girl, it, re it really is different than having a little boy. I know with my son, mm -hmm. I'm probably a little bit more strict and a little bit more tougher with him <laughs> versus my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's some of a, some kind of a cliche even. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. I'm trying to teach her how to play tennis. So every day for like 10 minutes, mm -hmm. We do different exercises and it's mostly mobility exercises and hand-eye coordination mm -hmm. with her. And I, I really enjoy that. And with my son, I'm trying to teach him how to read. And because he's in school in Romanian, he's learning how to re re read the Romanian alphabet and read in Romanian, not in English. So it's like I'm trying to teach him the English alphabet and how to read in English. And that's been a little bit of a challenge, but I, I'm enjoying it. And I really enjoyed the part you said like, 10 minutes each day so it like it's taken out of the atomic habits playbook you know just get one percent better each day is way better than trying you know hard once every two weeks absolutely yeah, yeah. but but coming back to our cocktail party all right we've got some icebreakers done we've got some wine we mingled for a while so what's eric's role right now do you just let it flow and you know stand aside and watch people do their thing or what's your playbook uh, during this time yeah pretty much let it flow i will welcome people who arrive late because you're always going to have those people that came 20 30 40 minutes late to the party i welcome them pour them a glass of wine i go around with the bottle of wine and pour everybody else who needs some more wine who has an empty glass if i see one or two people that are by themselves, I will actually go in there and, and grab them and introduce them to a couple of other people that I think they will find interesting or they will have something in common with because you as the host, you know something about everybody. You should know a little bit about what that person does, who you invited, and you know some aspect about them that you think would be interesting uh, to others. And you make those introductions if people were not doing that already on their own. Yeah. So know those people, make sure they are well hydrated. It 
sounds a bit like you play the role of a grandmother taking care of everyone at the party. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, you boy, you need to eat. You're so skinny. You're so thirsty. Do you, I don't know, like try and go from one to another and another and making sure everyone's, you know, happy and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, Jimmy, have you met Jack? You know, Jack is the... He's the founder of this tech company, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, Joe, have you met Susan? Susan's the, she does this for a living, blah, blah, blah. And it's usually something as simple as that. Now, here's the other brilliant thing about the cocktail parties that Nick Gray highly suggests. And I, I suggest it as well. And I've been sticking to it. There is a start time and an end time. And they last yeah. two hours. That's it. Two hours. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's perfect. Because a lot of people, they don't know when to leave. Either they're having too much of a good time, but the party's been over for quite some time. That happened to my first party. I did it at my apartment. It was from 6 to 8 p.m. I still had people here at 9.30 p.m. And I'm trying to put two kids to bed. And people are just having such a good time. They didn't know when to leave. Even though I started cleaning up the place. They just couldn't get the hint. So you want to you establish that, hey, there's a start time and an end time. And so... Usually about a little more than halfway through the party, you do the second icebreaker. And the second icebreaker, uh, again, you're going to ask everybody, you're going to go around your name, what you do, and ask a different question. And the different question could be something that's a little bit deeper that kind of gives insight as to some of the things that this person enjoys. So maybe the question could be, hey, what is a podcast or book recently that you listened to or read that you enjoy and, and why? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that gives people the opportunity to share something about themselves and, and things that they like. And that's where it really opens up and kind of reveals, you know, what this person's interests are. And that's how people are like, oh, wow, that person likes science fiction. I like science fiction, too. And so after the icebreaker, that's where you start seeing these new connections that are being made because people are learning that they have the same interests as some of the other people there. And so that second icebreaker happens. And it gives the people who arrive late the opportunity to introduce themselves as well. And at the end of the second icebreaker, you say, okay, guys, and remember the party ends promptly at 8 p.m., which is like, you know, 20 minutes from now, and, and just let everybody know, right? And so it, it's great because a lot of people sometimes find it hard to actually leave an event or leave a party. They don't know how. And so they keep waiting around for other people to leave. So it feels like they're not the first ones to leave. But if you have a start and end time and, and announce like the party ends, you know, at eight o'clock and you can do it like five minutes before, like, okay, guys, just a reminder in five minutes, this is over. Then people are free to like, okay, you know, pleasure attending, really enjoy this. I'm leaving now. And it, it, it's just brilliant because it's so difficult. My wife has that issue where, she can't really leave an event sometimes because she don't want to feel make she don't want to make it feel awkward that she's leaving early mm -hmm. or or anything. But now people don't have to make up sort of some sort of excuse. They just know that the party's ending. Well, one thing I would add to that is, from my perspective, having the end time creates this sense of urgency. So then I know I've got only two hours to get the most out of this event, the most out of those people, because I might get a chance of meeting them, I don't know, in a year or never. Yeah. So I really make, I, I really want to make use of it. And 
before that, not before, without it, it's just okay. Yeah, I might have a uh, might might have a time to do it or not. Okay, let's have a twenty minute break, and then someone leaves, someone goes elsewhere, and it all falls down. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Let's see. Okay, we're finishing up. We're saying we're telling everyone. Okay, it's the end. Let's go home. Well, I'm home, but you need to go home. <laughs> And what then? What's next? Okay, everyone's gone. You you cleaned up. Do you do any follow-ups? Do you facilitate any connections that happen afterwards? Yeah, there's always going to be like four or five people who who don't leave, and they're just highly engaged in conversation. Usually, if I haven't had dinner, I would just tell them like, "Hey, you guys want to go grab something to eat?" And I usually end up going to dinner with like five other people that night, and it's a lot mm -hmm. of fun because everybody's having a good time. Um, but yeah, there's the next day, there's like the follow-up email and it's sort of like, you know, thanks, thank everybody for attending. Oh, so one key thing that I missed is that at the end of the second icebreaker, I asked everybody to email me what their favorite podcast or book was, right? And mm -hmm. at the end of the party, I just kind of like, hey, the party's over, reminder again, would really love to know, um, you, you know, your, what your favorite Netflix show was, your favorite book was, anything that you had mentioned during the icebreaker, right? Because when I sent yeah. that follow-up email, I thank everybody for attending, and I go, I say, I say, all right, and then here's also the recommendations that people had shared during the icebreaker. And so Michael had mentioned that he likes this podcast, blah blah blah. You know, Joe mentioned that she likes this book, blah blah blah. And so now it just adds like further, further opportunities to really enhance deepening that, that relationship, that connection that you made with somebody because you see in, in text what that person had said, what they recommended. And now people can go and can, can be like, oh, wow, you know, I want to check out that book. Mm -hmm. I want to check out that podcast. And so that, that's what occurs in the post-event the post event email is those, adding those suggestions that everybody mentioned. And then also adding everybody's email or LinkedIn profile so everybody can connect uh, with everybody else yeah. after the event if they choose to. Yeah. So let me ask you yet another icebreaker, number two. What's your favorite podcast episode? Uh, for my own podcast? Your pick, either from your or any you listened to. Oh, okay. Well, I'll pick one for mine. There's been a few different ones. One that stands out, it was last season. It was with Valentin Radu. Mm -hmm. He's the founder of OmniConvert. Yeah. And he's, yeah, he's a tech founder based here in Bucharest. And he had me laughing so hard, I almost cried. Uh, the stories that he shared when he was just starting out as an entrepreneur and doing all these, these crazy things to make money. And in the process and everything from like running these different internet cables across the street here in Bucharest and over the, the different tram subways. And he was making like $80 a month, but he started this company and before he knew it, he was making $5,000 a month and he had a line full of people that wanted his internet broadband service. It's just, it's really funny. And all of his stories, he's just a great storyteller too. That, that one had me laughing mm -hmm. a lot. All right, I'm gonna check it out. <laughs> check it out, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Okay, listen, I believe we're coming to an end, but before I let you go, I've got 
maybe two questions that I'm really curious about. So the first one is, as you are a Texan moving to New York, but right now based in CEE, so Central East Europe, and traveling around a couple of countries around this region, from your perspective, what's the biggest difference in networking slash business relationship culture between Central Eastern Europe and United States? What should I be aware of? Yeah, I think one of the big differences is in the States were, and again, my industry is B2B, usually tech and SaaS. Mm-hmm. I think in the States, we we have a lot of conversation um, and we're afraid of, we find silence awkward. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so if we're on a call and you'll never see like Americans on a call and nobody, and nobody you know, talking or, or not talking. And so when I've had meetings with people like in Hungary or Romania, it's, it's common to like be on a, a video call with six or seven other people and nobody's talking. And for me, I find that very awkward and I have to start talking because it's just, it's just awkward for me. So I would think that that's probably one of the biggest differences. Yeah. Yeah. And if we would have to sum up this conversation of ours in one sentence, in one key thought that you would love to leave for everyone, what would that be? Oh, introverts can party. <laughs> cool. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's just like, we got to remember, we really can party and we should party, but we just got to remember to recharge our batteries. And that's all we should care about, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of it again, just like anything in life is the preparation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So speaking about preparation, where should we find you online or offline? What are your I know, social media websites, businesses? What website we should visit, basically, to yeah. find Eric? Well, innovatorscanlaugh.com. That's where you can see all the episodes from my podcast. That's where you can learn more about my B2B uh, podcast media network. And for personal, mm-hmm. I'm on LinkedIn. And you can just look for Eric Melkor. All right. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for sharing the tips. I've got a shit ton of notes that I need to go through and I need to go through that omniconnect, omniconvert. Yeah, I cannot, you know, discern my, my own writing. I just want to follow up on everything basically. And I would love to have yet another hour of conversation, but I know that's not possible. So, hey everyone, this was Eric Melker, a father, mediocre tennis player, podcast host, founder and soon to be a handsome billionaire <laughs> and i'm michael the introvert networker thank you for your time thanks Have michael